Hi, I'm Susan Foch, and when I was 18 years old, I launched a national nonprofit organization out of my freshman college dorm room. Now, with almost a decade of experience under my belt, I'm here to teach you my tried and true tips and tricks for running your own nonprofit or social enterprise and how to build it from the ground up. You're listening to this podcast because you're ready to make a difference in this world. I see you, I hear you, and I'm ready to help you. Now let's make an impact together. You're listening to the Make an Impact podcast, episode 20. Guys, it's November 2nd. Tomorrow is the U.S. presidential election. We are less than one month away until Giving Tuesday. This year it happens on Tuesday, December 1st. And like all of it's here, like holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, all the things that we celebrate, all the wonderful holidays, winter, daylight savings, it all just like crashed at once. And somehow 2020 has simultaneously felt like 17 years, but also like a month. This is the weirdest Twilight Zone year, but I don't need to tell you that. You know that. So here's the thing. Giving Tuesday is going to be kind of weird this year. Um, you know, nonprofits and charitable giving has been a little weird this year. The economy has been incredibly weird this year. And so I got to sit down with Mallory Erickson, who is a top-notch, five-star, amazing fundraising coach, to, to talk about it. Because, like, what a weird landscape. Some nonprofits have been thriving and have had their numbers up. Some have had to fully close their doors. Same with, with regular for-profit businesses. This has been a very unpredictable year. And I think that there's a lot of trends that make us really nervous about going into a fundraising landscape for Giving Tuesday and kind of ending out Q4, which traditionally is the largest you know, section of our year for charitable giving for sales in general, just because the holidays put everyone in a very consumer driven mindset, which also to like offset that (laughs) uh, makes people want to get in a giving mood, a charitable mindset. And also to get get ready for tax time. It's just like a whole thing. So Mallory and I talk about today some very tactical strategies that you should be doing to get ready for Giving Tuesday, mindsets that you should be thinking about for your audience, for Giving Tuesday, for your end of the year campaigns, um, some phrasing that you need to be doing, some... and. Honestly, she just kind of ends it with some really great mindset hacks that you should be doing for fundraising in general. It's all very fantastic. Uh, Mallory is so wonderful. So you guys are really, I mean, this is probably like a thousand dollar phone call that we had um, to just talk about it. And I even discuss like, you know, some of the things that Operation Not Alone is going to be doing for Giving Tuesday, especially for us as we are heading into our busiest season with Veterans Day right around the corner and our cheer package program, which will run right into our Never Alone nursing home visits for veterans, which will obviously look different with COVID. And then we're going to head right into our biggest um, and newest campaign in January 2021. So this was a little bit of like a selfish coaching call for me with fundraising. This was tactical information. We talk stock markets and economy. So I'm not kidding. I think this is like a thousand dollar interview with Mallory. You guys are super lucky for it. I was so lucky to do it. And you guys are going to enjoy. So without further ado, Mallory, can you please give us a little background as to who you are, where your um, background and expertise with fundraising came in, and just a little bit of how you got to be where you are today? Okay. 
So thank you so much for having me. My name is Mallory Erickson, and I am a fundraising coach and consultant. I have been working in the nonprofit sector, I mean, really for 17 years, but 13 of them sort of exclusively in my full-time role. Um, I've done kind of every job under the sun in nonprofit, with the exception, I always joke, of like anything tech support related. Um, But, you know, I've been a program director, managing director, executive director um, of multiple organizations. And, you know, as I started to to work my way up, I guess, in the nonprofit world, fundraising expectations, you know, naturally came with the territory. And if you had asked me when I was an executive director what my least favorite part of my job was, I would have without a doubt said fundraising. And that was because I had a lot of sort of unaddressed discomforts around around asking for money or inviting people to join me in supporting my organization. And I didn't really have any of the language or tools or support in order to even talk about that at the time. You know, I feel like I was sent to sort of one tactical fundraising um, training after another, but nothing, nothing addressed the underlying discomfort that kind of followed me from, from, you know, major donor meetings to um, individual giving campaigns to corporate sponsorship outreach. And when I, a few years ago, I was in a managing director position for an organization and I went through an exec, an executive coach training program um, at the time, which wasn't connected to my, to my fundraising at all, but wanted to deepen my, um, my leadership skills. And when I went through this, coach training program, I started to learn all of these tools and tricks and strategies that I was able to apply to my fundraising um, in the moment. And what I saw was just a complete transformation in the way that I fundraised. Not only did my success as a fundraiser, you know, 10x what felt like overnight, but really, you know, over the course of of six months, but also my joy in fundraising completely changed. Um, and what I found when I when I did this, when I applied this to my own fundraising, I, I sort of felt like I like stumbled upon this secret that nobody had ever talked to me about before. And I started to talk to more fundraisers, particularly women, about these discomforts and mindsets um, that and limiting beliefs that, that get in the way of us being really powerful fundraisers. And I just heard from fundraiser after fundraiser, oh my gosh, yes, like I need that too. Oh my gosh, yes, I need that too. And so that is what inspired me to start my my private practice. And so I've worked with over 50 organizations now. I've trained over 780 fundraisers in one of my courses or workshops. Um, around how to be authentic, embodied um, fundraisers who have more fun with less stress and overwhelm um, because they're really able to to think differently about fundraising and approach fundraising really differently. So that's a little bit about me and what brings me here today. Oh, I love that because you're right. I mean, fundraising is the base of our organizations. You know, we need money to do basically anything. Uh, But it it can feel like the scariest part. And I think people are so afraid of hearing that no. Um, So what would be your advice to like a brand new fundraiser, someone who is fresh in the nonprofit world, who's really just petrified at like hearing the word no from a donation of any size? 
Yeah, you know, it is, it's so interesting, and I was just talking with someone recently about this, that, you know, one of the things that triggers all of our negative self-talk in, in life is rejection. And so fundraising is just naturally this very vulnerable thing, because it involves rejection. Um, and so it it's kind of this, I think maybe some of the advice I would give is just to expect it. Right. That like to expect knows and that that's not actually about you being personally rejected. You know, when somebody says no to me, um, my response to them is thank you so much for letting me know. I really hope that you find an organization that feels in alignment with what you want to do in this world. You know, it's not about me. It's not it's not personal. And I know it's really easy advice to say, like, don't take it personally. But I think like the the mindset is that. This is, this is a numbers game. This is about finding people who are in alignment with organization and passionate about what you do. And in order to find them, you're going to have to get a lot of no's. And that's part of the process. Oh, for sure. I love that. So today we are really focused talking all about Giving Tuesday, right? Because that's like in the nonprofit world, like this is our mecca. <laughs> like this is our big holiday is Giving Tuesday. Um, but all of Q4 really is where most organizations are going to see the most amount of money coming in. Um, you know, this is where we're going to see that traction. So first, um, I think that we all know that on the inside baseball of nonprofits. But can you explain uh, some of the reasons why like all of Q4 and the closer we get to the holidays and the end of the year is a really popular time that people are giving and why we're seeing a huge increase in this time of year? Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, I think there's actually a few reasons and a number of which are sort of rooted in, you know, history and sort of the repetition of the way things are. Um, and I think we're going to see a shift to this, you know, as as we watch millennial giving on the rise. Um, but typically, I think there's sort of three, you know, three primary reasons. One is that, you know, the holidays are a time of generosity, right, where people are um, tapping into gratitude and recognizing how um, thankful they are for what they have. And so that that sort of generous spirit um, transmits out into the way that they think about giving, right? And so I think, you know, that that is certainly one component of it um, and, and a huge one. I think it's like the spirit of giving piece of it. I think the other is that, um, that, you know, tax deductions and you're closing out the year. And so a lot of people are doing their sort of books and accounting. And, you know, some of that has changed as, as some of those policies have changed in recent years, but not really as much as I think folks were, were fearing it might. Um, and so, you know, there's that sort of logistical thing, right? You imagine like the couple sitting at home with their stack of end of year letters, sort of writing all their checks to, to the different organizations they want to support. I know that's what like my grandma did, you know, she'd save all the letters throughout the year. And then the last few weeks, um, you know, she would send her checks to all of her organizations. And then I think the third reason why it's so important is because we as the nonprofit sector have made it so, you know, and so we've sort of created this structure, you know, with Giving Tuesday now and, um, and then end of year is that, is that now our donors come to expect 
that this is this is the time and we're going to sort of be doing big things um, around our around our engagement um, and asks at end of year. For sure. So something I found really interesting, and we were chatting about this before we started recording, is so I was looking at a global giving trend report from Fundraise with Justin Wheeler, and it reported that in 2019, only 26% of people donated on Giving Tuesday or in a Giving Tuesday promotion campaign, uh, however you want to phrase it. Um, Only 26% of people. However... When we got into the pandemic and what was, I think, really funny, what I think is really interesting um, and actually warms my heart in terms of like restoring some of my faith in humanity is while, you know, so much tragedy was happening with the pandemic, especially in the beginning, and people were starting to feel, you know, the burden of, you know, some financial distress, losing their jobs, charitable giving actually shot up 62% um, in the pandemic and particularly particularly for people who were donating to, um, you know, COVID relief themed organizations or people who are doing something very directly related with that. So we've seen a really big increase um, throughout the year. So what does that mean for us for Giving Tuesday? Yeah, I mean, I, um, this is going to be recorded and set in stone, so I better be careful. But I, (laughs) but I actually, I actually think just in general, we don't, we don't necessarily know, you know, I mean, I think this year is just unprecedented in so many ways, right? In so many ways that it's affected nonprofits and their fundraising and their fundraising activity. But, but also because I really do think we've also seen some unprecedented generosity, particularly from groups of people or sort of like, you know, um, uh, like more moderate income levels, just huge surges of giving. I mean, one of the things that warmed my heart that was so inspiring for me was all the energy around giving away stimulus checks, you know, for people who could handle, um, who could handle not having that in their own bank account. And um, I, I think what that shows us, I think what that tells us, which applies to Giving Tuesday and end of year and every moment of fundraising is that we need to be responsible responsive to the moment and that people give by by recognizing a clear need and and action and not by sort of falsified deadlines you know i read this really i can't even remember the the article but i was reading something recently about how like your you know the end of your campaign like doesn't matter to your donors you know that it was like October 18th, like that means nothing to them if you've ended your campaign on that date, you know, and so you driving all these really urgent emails to October 18th is not actually what's going to really get them to give. And so I think, you know, we see that a little bit in maybe some of the decline in, in, uh, in giving Tuesday numbers, um, you know, the, what you reported from last year, but, um, but I think what we saw at the beginning of this pandemic was like, it, it doesn't actually matter what time of year it is right now. We see the need, we see what we can do, and we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And 
Which I totally agree. Um, I think people, just inherently as human beings, like we're emotionally driven people, especially when it comes okay. to charities donating. Um, it's not that analytical to be like, okay, on December 15th, I'm going to write all my checks. It is, you know, when you feel compelled. And yeah, this year has obviously thrown a wrench into <laughs> everyone's plans. Um, but we, we kind of also talked about too, so there are, we think uh, two main, I'm say we, you think um, there are two main factors that are really going to also affect Giving Tuesday. So at the time that this podcast will air, it is November 2nd. Um, the election mm. is tomorrow. And Giving Tuesday is basically mm-hmm. a month away. It is set for Tuesday, December 1st, which I also think just the, I think the literal date of Giving Tuesday is going to kind of mess with things as well. Uh, Just the simple change of it going from November to December, how it lands, I think really uh, mentally kind of gets with people. But so let's talk about, you know, a, a possibility of how the election can really change a pattern in what we're going to see in Giving Tuesday. And I'll preface this with saying uh, we're not talking about uh, particular candidates. We're not really sharing our political affiliation. Just the reality of what, you know, finances and the economy and stocks are going to be doing after the election. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that this is, um, I think there's sort of two ways in which the election has the potential to sort of impact Giving Tuesday, end of year giving. But there's there's probably many more than two, but there are two that I've been thinking about a lot. You know, one is depending on the outcome of the election, what is the impact on the stock market, right? And one of the reasons why that feels, you know, so particularly important is because right now there is this massive disconnect, frankly, between how everyday people are experiencing the economy who are being hit by the pandemic and what we're seeing in the stock market. And that could shift quickly. And if it does, it's going to have an impact on end of year giving. Um, And, you know, a little bit of what you were saying before, sort of the rise of giving that we've seen during the pandemic. And I've seen it actually, frankly, with a lot of organizations I work with that aren't directly supporting, uh, you know, aren't COVID response organizations. Um, and, but I think part of that is because those folks who are giving have not yet had a personal, um, you know, financial effect. And if the stock market changes, the, the health of the stock market changes, that could have a big, a big impact, um, you know, potentially on, on, you know, particularly your major donors, perhaps. And so one of the things that I've been, you know, really advising my clients on is, you know, get ready, no matter what happens in the election, get ready to have your language be able to be tailored and again, responsive to the moment, right? So with one of our organizations, we're, we're creating, you know, sort of end of year language that accounts for all of um, the potential outcomes. And I think the other thing about the election is that I have, you know, I think it's quite possible that it's not going to end on November 23rd. And we don't know exactly what that looks like or will look like if that happens. But one of the things that I think fundraisers need to be aware of is that you know, we don't know when things politically are going to quiet down. So if you're telling yourself a story like, oh, I'm just going to wait till November 4th and then we're going to have all the answers, 
and it's going to be quiet out there and people are going to pick up their phones again because they're not getting, you know, election calls every second. I just wouldn't put all your eggs in that basket. Like, I would be prepared to fundraise for end of year in a very noisy environment. And so your message really needs to stand out. Your close interaction with your, you know, primary donors, your major donors, your your biggest corporate sponsors, like, you need to be, this needs to be high-touch, great storytelling, compelling, inspiring, responsive, um, and, and you know, to, to plan to be driving that really till the end of the year. Yeah, for sure. And I think one thing you said in there that really struck with me was you know, the stock market is going to do what it's going to do, but that's, it's not usually at all indicative of what's happening, you know, with families across America. I mean, you know, you have people in great corporate settings who were making lots of money. Now they lost their jobs. People with essential jobs who are thriving. Like, you know, my favorite comparison of this is I was in a, a marketing role um, for a national content marketing firm and I was let go. But my mom, who works um, production for Door County Coffee, they have skyrocketed in sales. Like you have no idea where people are thriving and where people are um, kind of suffering, which which I think makes everything a little bit more unpredictable as well. Um, the other thing that we talked about was because of COVID, again, the world kind of threw us through a little bit of a loop as fundraisers, um, and they threw in Giving Tuesday Now, which was a few mm-hmm. months ago. I can't even remember the exact date of it in the summer. Um, how do you think that's going to affect it? Because I think Giving Tuesday Now really, I mean, it took people by surprise. Yeah, it did. And um I, it's, it's a great question. It's something I'm thinking a lot about. And again, that I don't think we have a, a totally clear answer to, you know, I think the biggest question that we're all asking is, you know, is this, you know, based on sort of the surge that we've seen in philanthropic giving so far, are we going to close out 2020 with a higher number uh, with, with that same surge sort of applied to the whole year, right? Or do people feel like they've done their giving and so we're going to see a quieter end of year? And and I don't think we know the answer. And so I think the, the um, again, that's sort of why I'm stressing to my, to my clients to really make sure that their messaging is responsive and, um, and sort of hitting all the marks uh, across the board and to not, you know, to be careful around falling into stories about, oh, well, we did Giving Tuesday now, so we can't do Giving Tuesday. Like, that's a story, you know, and I love what you said, um, Susan, a minute ago about, you know, the way that the economy, like how, how differently people have been impacted by this, right? Mm-hmm. So it's easy to start to make assumptions about, you know, who can give, you know, the same amount or who can give more. And we tend to do that. Um, we, we tend to do that like on the side of, okay, who can't give as much now? But we, but when we're doing that, we forget about all the people who maybe can give more now, you know, even like my husband and I at the beginning of this, we're like, okay, we're both still employed. We have way less expenses. You know, daycare was cut. We were like, we, we're, we actually, we need to give this away, you know, because here we are with all these people struggling um, and we haven't been personally hit. And so I think like the other message around that is, 
you need, like, don't cut anyone out of your communication. Like, people can can say no, and that's okay. And you don't need to say no for them. You know, you don't know what all, what is going on with all of your donors. Of course, you want to be sort of compassionate around the fact that, that folks' situations have changed. Many folks' situations have changed. But I would be very careful to not let fear drive you around making bold asks because you've made assumptions about what's possible. Mm-hmm. I actually love what you just said, because I, I think the other thing that's really important, um, even my business coach says all the time, like, you have no idea what's happening inside of people's pockets. And it's not your business to know what's happening in people's pockets, but it is our business to give them the compelling story and a reason, you know, to, to be a part of our organizations. And because like what you just said with daycare, you know, you are naturally like a philanthropically centered um, and thoughtful person. So your idea with like, oh, we're spent, we're saving so much money on daycare, you know, let's donate this. People with stimulus checks who were like, you know, I don't need this. Someone else needs this a little bit more than me. Um, it's a very generous thought. And then there are also people who took it and put it in their savings account and they're like, oh, this is fantastic for me. Um, You know, and I think the important part too is creating stories that are going to appeal to both audiences. So Mm -hmm. in that regard, how do you suggest an organization to kind of craft both stories to hit people where you don't know what's happening in their pockets? Yeah. So, you know, one thing I, one thing I also wanted to add, you know, based on what we were saying, what your question about giving Tuesday now one of the big differences, I think, that between folks giving for Giving Tuesday now and folks giving for this this Giving Tuesday is around their confidence in the organization and the trust they have in the organization. So I think when people were giving around Giving Tuesday now, there was this massive urgency, right, to sort of save the sector. Um, and I think people were giving really fully driven by their emotions in that moment. And I think, you know, of course, giving remains a a deeply emotional thing to do. But I do think that donors for this giving, for Giving Tuesday, for end of year, they are starting to, to ask the question around, like, am I giving to a sinking ship? And so one of the, because they don't, if you haven't been communicating well with them along the way, or they don't know the financial, you know, solvency of the, of the organization, um, one of the things I would really recommend sort of in addition to the storytelling component, component, and then I'll answer that question, I promise, is (laughs) to, to address that head on with your donors, you know, to let them know where you're at and to be, to be mindful that your messaging is not crisis messaging unless it really is crisis messaging. You know, it's like if you have to raise a certain amount of money or your organization is going to go under, okay, then you need to be transparent with your donors, right? You need to be transparent with your donors and honest with them about what's going on. Um, But if you're not in that situation, then you want to be, you want to be expressing urgency around the need, around the story, but not around the organization's health. We know that you're strong and empowered. We know that you wanna make an incredible impact on this world. And thankfully, there's an online boutique for you to represent that message every day. The Ona Boutique has two lines of t-shirts and engraved gold bar necklaces to remind you that you're capable of incredible impact on this world. 
and the proceeds benefit Operation Not Alone, a Wisconsin-based nonprofit supporting our troops, veterans, and mental health initiatives all across the country. Head to theownaboutique.com to shop their collections and get free shipping with the code IMPACT. That's theonaboutique.com and use code IMPACT. you know, as a, as a coach. Okay. And I don't know who your, your ideal client is or what the traditional client is that you have, but let's say that you are working with a very small, very young organization who maybe doesn't have a real giving Tuesday plan. Maybe they're thinking, you know, like they'll do one email, they'll post about it on, on Facebook. Um, you know, but they don't really have an idea. Where would you kind of guide a smaller organization to just start with for a Giving Tuesday plan? Because at this point, if they're listening to it today, they have a month to kind of craft something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so one of the questions that I always start my clients with, with any, um, with any campaign or any event or anything, is I have them answer, you know, why, like, people feel blank when they give to my organization. And people give to my organization because, I have them answer those two questions. People feel blank when they give to my organization and people give to my organization because. And I think all good design starts from answering those questions and designing around those answers. So that is how, like, deciding the story you're going to tell, right, comes from answering that question. Deciding what images or maybe little video you show on Instagram or Facebook starts with those that those messages, right? Asking people to be a part of a peer-to-peer campaign starts with answering those questions. So so that's sort of like my first blanket advice, which is not tactical, which I think you, you also might be, be getting at. But then I think from a tactical perspective, when you're thinking about, okay, what's the structure that I use, right? Like, do I launch a Facebook fundraiser or do I do peer-to-peer or hopefully not just one email <laughs> at the very minimum three emails, <laughs> you know, because that's just, you know, you send out one email and very few people give, and then you're, you're convinced that it doesn't work for you. Right. And you have, but you haven't given it a real shot. You know, you sort of like close your eyes and click send on that one email. Um, so, so, you know, I think you want to think about when you're thinking about your, um, your approach kind of logistically, I think you want to, you want to be mindful of, you know, who your donors are, you know, who are your donor segments, no matter how small they are, how do they like to give and how do they, um, like, what do they need to, like, what are sort of the assets of your organization that you can engage in this, in this giving Tuesday or end of year plan. So for example, like I'll just, I'll give you kind of like a few examples, right? So if you have a small organization and most of your donors are over 70 for whatever reason, I would really recommend that you do a direct mail campaign. Why? Because they probably are used to giving in that way. Right. And so this might not be a time like I watch fundraisers all the time that kind of follow the shiny object without designing around their specific donors. 
right? So if that's your small base, like think about like, how do they like to receive information? Imagine, like put yourself in their shoes for a second. How can you imagine them wanting to give, right? And what's going to compel them to do so? Let's say you have a small young organization where a lot of your volunteer organizing has happened on social media. Okay, then your giving Tuesday end of your campaign should have a strong social media focus, right? Like, I don't believe in just replicating everything in person digitally, but if there's something that you are missing from a from a virtual from a gala that you typically you know hold at the end of the year, and you can take one piece of that, right? One piece of that that helps your donors feel your core offering. And again, when I refer to core offering, I'm talking about you know people give to my organization because you know, or people feel blank when they give to my organization, then I would encourage you to replicate that. Like, for example, I talked to a small organization recently and they're, you know, they had to cut their end of year gala. And I said, okay, like, what's the, what, you know, who really makes that gala, like, go round, you know, from a, from a fundraising standpoint? And she was like, the corporate sponsors. I was like, okay, and what's the most meaningful part of the event for the corporate sponsors? And she was like, well, they get to sponsor, they get to have these tables where they sit with a recipient of their sponsorship because it's a it's a scholarship program. And I said, okay, then you need to design some type of opportunity for your sponsors to meet the recipients of their sponsorship, right? Now, whether you do a whole gala and then breakout rooms in Zoom, or you just do something centered around that. It's all about designing around the experience and around the feeling, not just trying to take what you used to do in an in-person format and get as close as possible virtually. Oh, I love that so much because I do think a lot of people, you know, who had maybe those large in-person events just somehow were like, well, I guess we'll just broadcast it on Zoom and I hope that people enjoy. So I like what you said so much about making sure like, you know, what is the real reason why people are going? And if it is like, oh, you got to sit with a scholarship recipient. Amazing. I think that that's a really cool way to do it for a scholarship organization Um, and still somehow create that emotion. I think that that was wonderful advice. (laughs) But also, yeah, like people can't just broadcast what they normally did and call it a day. So I love that. Um, One question I had, so and I know we've talked about this, I actually think... um, to be honest, the reason why I know we were talking about doing a, a podcast interview before, and then it actually was when I saw your Instagram stories talking about uh, matching donations that I was like, oh my gosh, we need to do a Giving Tuesday one. Uh, let's talk about matching campaigns, matching donors, because um, there's a there's a lot there. And I think, as you pointed out, there's a lot that can be left on the table with matching donations. So walk us through a little bit of, of crafting a really great matching campaign yeah so I I love matching for a few reasons and I'll just say maybe before I get into why I love matching that I recognize that everyone is probably feeling a little bit of match fatigue at the moment because of the way that matching has been um, kind of promoted through social media's like uh, campaign fundraising right like I'm sure everyone is seeing like 10 times your gift in the next 40 minutes, you know, on Instagram every day, just like I am. And so 
I, I think what that requires us to do is actually take a step back and think about, okay, what is powerful about matching, right? And I know for a lot of organizations, you know, where matching funds come from, like when you're thinking about, you know, having $25,000 to match for end of year, for example, I'll, I'll start there and then I'll talk about kind of the other side. You know, a lot of times what happens is you have a major donor who's going to give you $25,000 and you ask them if you can leverage it for a match, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's not really a true match because you're going to get that $25,000 anyways, but it still works because people like to give around matches. There's just, you know, there's something, I, I know there's a term for this, right? But where it's like this, like we know the money is, we don't want to leave any money on the table, right? From the donor perspective, right? So it does incentivize donors. We know that, that it, that it works even when it's not a true match. But one of the things that I have seen to be really powerful right now in particular, and I'm sure my clients are like, you're giving away secrets, but I'm going <laughs> to give away secrets. Um, because one of, one of the things that I have found to be really, really powerful right now is um, finding donors who can increase their gifts, and they're not your top major donors, you know, your most in, you know, involved donors, but folks who have gotten a little bit more involved year after year, and you can ask them to stretch a little bit, along with a few other donors around their sort of same level of giving, to pool the funds together for a match. So I, I actually think it is much, much more strategic to be asking, you know, five of your $2,500 donors to stretch to 5000 than to try to find one donor to do a $25,000 match. I get that initially it feels easier to just get that one $25,000 match, but, the, but think about the cultivation, the buy-in, the relationship building that's happening when you're asking those five donors to come together. And then I think you want to share stories about those donors as a part of your fundraising, right? Like find a donor who will record a little selfie video about why they stretched, you know, why they stretched their gift this year. And I think it does two things. It provides the matching, you know, it does really three things. It provides the matching um, donation for you to have for your campaign. It, it adds to that trust and buy-in factor, right? If these five donors are all increasing their donation, it must mean, right, that, that the organization is not a sinking ship and it's going to be okay and people are giving to it, right? So it, it's this really, this really critical endorsement. Um, and then, of course, it builds these really wonderful relationships and increases the buy-in of these five people as well. Um, so I can start to talk about the other side of the match, but any questions about that? that piece? Um, no, I loved all of that. Cause you're right. Usually it can be a little easier to ask someone who's already on board to donate, to do a little bit more than finding like a fresh donor right off the street. Um, I mean, and that's just even, that's not even fundraising. That's just kind of sales 101. It's always easier to kind of upsell, you know, someone who's already on board than getting a whole new person kind of built in. So I really like that advice. I also like the idea of having someone as your donor kind of record that little video and be like, hey, this is why I care about this organization, because that's also just, you know, it's not just great for the organization, but that's just that's word of mouth, you know, and, and mm -hmm. telling other people, which yeah, all of it helps together. So no, I, I love I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I think I, I just did this with one of my clients and, um, you know, and it was a little bit more complicated and it was certainly more work on the match side, but you know, something I really stand by is that I do not think those 
five donors would have doubled their giving on the other side of that match. You know what I mean? Like they, they, what really compelled them was help helping to move the needle on all the end of year giving. Um, and so, so I think you want to think strategically about, you know, who are the right people to be spent, you know, sending that like, you know, Matt, help us match the $25,000 email and even making the calls around that versus who are the people that you really want on your team to help you, you know, hit that, hit, you know, create the match um, and hit your overall goal. So, and then the other thing that I think about a lot with, um, you know, with matching, right? So I already said, like, people love matching. That's just like in the numbers. One of the most untapped matching resources is um is corporate giving and so you know we know that companies you know when we look at like fortune 500 companies for example 65 percent of them have matching gift programs many of them i've heard have even increased their matching limit this year in particular um and so but there's just billions of dollars frankly that go untapped in those networks and so when i was doing that instagram live i was I was talking about sort of the ways that you can be creative about about matching giving in particular. You know, there's, of course, technology platforms that make it really easy for your donors to sort of select their company and help them process the matching paperwork. But even if you don't have something fancy like that, um, I think still actually in my Instagram profile, I have a list of um, matching, you know, all the matching companies. And what I recommend is that people, particularly for smaller organizations that operate more locally, I would think about, you know, who are the biggest sort of companies and employers in your area? And I would search for them on this list. And, um, and then I would send, if you think that there's sort of a significant enough donor base of your organization who likely works at you know, one of these places, I would send an email out about that um, to your list. Like I was thinking for, and you know, like the Bay Area, even a place that's really congested, I would sort of think about, okay, what does matching look like at some of the really big companies out here? And even if you do like the top 10, you know, companies in the Bay Area who match with links to their matching pages, if you can get your hands on those, that, you know, not only makes it really easy for the donor to match their gift, but it also gets everyone thinking about, oh, I wonder if my company does that, or, oh, that's so cool. Um, So I think getting your your donors and your community on board with like, this is is money on the table, and, um, and we can get it with your help. Um, is a really is a really great way to to inspire them to give to, for them to feel proud of where they work um, to engage their employer and on and on. Yeah, I love that. Um, I'm gonna be both honest and do a shameless plug. Um, so for my organization, Operation Alone, this is the first time that we are going to be utilizing a matching campaign for Giving Tuesday with one of our, um, you know, our sweetest donors, which is Jack Chang with the Chang Real Estate Group, who's based out of the Madison, Wisconsin area. Um, so he will be matching every donation made on Giving Tuesday to our organization up to, I believe it's a $2,000 threshold. And I think that that's also very powerful, um, particularly from a millennial mindset. I think of all of it because I think this idea of just, oh, you know, my if I give $5 by no extra effort on my part, $5 now becomes $10. And I think that, you know, just that mental bit, which I think is just very alive in millennials. Um 
that needs to be a little bit more alive in some of the older generations, which would be amazing to do. Because um, they, because I feel like oftentimes, and please uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, can feel a little bit more like this is what I've segmented to give. This is what I'm going to do, and things like matching doesn't really sway them as much. Uh, what do you? What are your thoughts on that? For millennials in particular? Yeah, just feeling a little bit more swayed of just knowing, like, oh, my $5 is going farther. Yeah, you know, I think that I think that sways them. And I also think the other thing that sways them is this understanding that their company has the money. Like, if it's a corporate matching program, um, that their company has this money and that they have the key to unlock it. You know, I think I watched this podcast recently or uh, this YouTube video recently, and the guy said something that just has not stopped ringing in my head around, you know, one of the things that philanthropy does is it helps people say, you know, people like me do things like this, right? Like when you're really inspiring someone to give, it's like because somebody has adopted the identity of someone who does something like that. You know, people like me give to causes like that. People like me take care of, you know, of, you know, pets without homes or, you know, any of those things. And, and so when I think about matching and corporate matching that, I think that's a piece of it too, right? Like people like me help companies give more. Mm. I like, I think that's a much more inspiring narrative because I think, And again, I don't know if this is like a millennial perspective or what it is. I think sometimes we can turn that same idea around in a negative and it's like, oh, look at all of this money that my company is like hoarding and not giving away or not putting into my paycheck, you know, that's just rolling over year to year. I think it's a lot more inspiring, um, you know, to, to share it the way you just said it, like, I have the key to unlock this potential. I think that's so much more powerful. Kind of switching gears a little bit to that, we talked about kind of before we started uh, recording that one of the big things that's really holding people back, I think, in fundraising in 2020 is is so much of the uncertainty, right? Which we've talked about a lot in this whole episode is just, you know, the fact people, they don't know uh, where their donors are sitting, where their pocketbooks are sitting. Um, and there's a lot of fear around it. But you said something really interesting to me at the beginning of our phone call, which was that it's it's actually probably going to be a bad thing for people to say, you know what, I'm going to call 2020 a wash and I'm just going to start <laughs> fundraising again in 2021. What are your thoughts on that? And why is that not a great idea? <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, you know, this is going to be sort of recorded in the in the podcast abyss, but I have a feeling that it is going to be much harder to fundraise in 2021 than it is in 2020. Um, I think, you know, there there is, as we talked about before, this sort of disconnect um, in the in the economy and, um, you know, between people who have lost you know, the number of people who've lost their jobs and are unemployed and then what we see in the stock market. And it, it feels a little bit, a little bit confusing. And I think it's quite possible that 2021 is actually going to be a much, much harder time um, to fundraise if more small businesses have to close that, you know, and, and as we watch, because, 
you know, if you think about this as sort of like these these scales, right? Like needs are urgent needs are only increasing, right? In the in the midst of this pandemic, um, and the the gap between those who have and those who don't on a number of different things is is increasing, and so. Um, I use your organization. And if I'm wrong, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> because, all, because all it means is that you're going to do a better job fundraising this year. And so, you know, I think we, we oftentimes as fundraisers, I mean, I said, you know, I started this crash course for free for fundraisers right when the pandemic hit. And one of the things I kept talking about is if you are telling yourself a story that now's a bad time to fundraise, I'll just do it in 30 days. You know, I'll just send that email in 30 days. I'll just call them the moment that, you know, when things calm down, like that's when I'll reach out. If 2020 has taught us anything, it is that that moment is not coming anytime soon. So you need to figure out a way to operate authentically and, um, and compassionately and honestly in this turbulence. Because if you wait until things settle down, it's going to pass you by and you're, and, and you're going to be worse off for it. Yeah. I think that that's great advice. And I know you keep saying this is like in the podcast sphere, but in, in remembering that right now we are sitting at the end of October in 2020 and we're doing a lot of guesswork, right? Um, which is so, it's so hard in general, um, particularly for trying to guess giving patterns for nonprofits. But um, Mallory, this has been so helpful, um, selfishly a little for, for me, but I think for everyone listening to this episode, and I'm very excited about it. Um, I think to wrap up, the last question I want to ask you is something I know really um, fires you up because you've given a lot of great tangible content. But let's just wrap up with a little bit of mindset. Like, what is a great mindset like hack or place that people need to be mentally in order to really successfully carry them through uh not just giving tuesday but the rest of q4 and a healthy like fundraising mindset to watch their organization thrive yeah oh my favorite topic um but i'll I'll just say two really quick things you know one is just around the awareness of of where you're at, how you're feeling, and where those feelings are coming from, right? So I don't really like things like, you know, be more positive. It's like, what does that mean? Like, I feel stressed and I feel overwhelmed. Like, why are they just telling me to, like, be more positive? My advice is actually to think about, to track, why don't you feel positive? Like, you have that pit in your stomach right now. What's the thought? What's the belief? that's sitting behind that pit in your stomach because everything we feel comes from a thought and a belief. And then how we feel impacts how we show up and then ultimately our results. And so if we can track back to our thoughts, right? Instead of just being like, this is really stressful and overwhelming. It's like, well, no, it's not because it just is a thing, right? What's stressful and overwhelming are the thoughts and the beliefs that you have. What's stressful and overwhelming is that you think that there's no way you're going to hit your fundraising numbers this year or that how are you going to get this together in time or that no one's picking up their phone because of the election. Those thoughts, those beliefs, that's what's actually stressful. And so if you can track back to the thought and you can shift the thought, and I'll give you two two very quick ways to do that, um, then you can actually completely change your experience 
how you feel, which is going to change how you show up, and then ultimately your results. And so there's there's a few sort of quick hacks that I do to shift my my thought patterns when I find myself falling into you know, kind of self-defeating thought patterns or self-critic thought patterns, you know, one is to find the data, right? So if we, you know, sometimes a donor doesn't email you back for 72 hours and you're like, oh my gosh, they're so mad at me. Like, they're definitely mad at me. They don't want to support our organization anymore. You know, we have this whole story. And so I'll just dial it back and I'll be like, okay, what is the data to support that? Like, where am I pulling that belief from? What else might be true? What else might be going on here, right? So you get curious. You ask about, you, you try to track the data, you get curious, you think about what else might be possible, what else might be true. And then another another hack is, what would you say to a friend? We are so much more capable of finding the right ways to move forward in situations when we're not the person dealing with it, right? We're so much kinder to our friends than we are to ourselves. And so if you're finding yourself in some really challenging situation, pull yourself out for a second. Imagine your best friend, like really imagine them coming to you with this exact scenario. You know, what would you say to them? And maybe you have to write that down. Maybe you write it down in a journal. Maybe you write it on the mirror in your bathroom. But like you need to start talking to yourself in the way that you would if you were encouraging someone someone else that you love. Mm. So those are those are I could talk about this forever, but those are some of my those are some of my quick quick hacks. Maybe the last thing I'll say is that one of the mindset shifts, one of the belief shifts that changed everything for me was shifting was this my mantra, which is great fundraising is not an ask, it's an offer. Mm. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that one's good. <laughs> I love that. Write it down, stick it on your wall, over your computer, right? It's about partnership, opportunity, connection, inspiration. Like fundraisers are the money movers that we need for a more just and equitable society. And you need to be proud of what you are doing and stand embodied in that pride when you are giving people such an incredible opportunity to participate in something really meaningful. Oh my gosh. I, I, I love all of that. And I also definitely just found my soundbite for <laughs> what I'm going to use to promote this episode <laughs> because it was so good. <laughs> I love that so much. Uh, Mallory, what, a treat this has been both just in talking about a good mindset but in the tactical the tactical bits to all of this i love it all where can people find you how can they connect with you um get more just like tips and advice because i know you share a lot of great things on social media uh how can people find you yes so my website is mallory m-a-l-l-o-r-y erickson e-r-i-c-k-s-o-n um, dot com. And if you sign up um, as a subscriber, I send out like tips and tricks usually once a week, sometimes twice a week if I have something I know you need to hear. Um, and then you can follow me on Instagram. That's sort of where I am the most in the social media world. And it's just Mallory underscore Erickson underscore coach. Um, and I'm always sort of doing live lives on different tips and tricks. You can DM me questions. I come on live and answer them pretty quickly. Um, so if you listen to this and you have some burning thoughts and questions, come on, ask me. Um, I'm always happy to answer questions and show up in service of the community in any way that I can. 
Yeah, well, that's how we also found each other, even for this interview, was I started following you on Instagram, and I was like, this girl's got a lot of great stuff (laughs) that she's talking about. (laughs) So um, it's all fantastic. Everyone needs to go follow Mallory um, right now for some of those those tips and tricks. But um, thank you so much for taking the time. I know we had quite a few technology hiccups at the beginning of this. Uh, But thank you so much for taking the time and sharing so much of this knowledge, Mallory. I can't tell you how much um, I appreciate it. And I know the audience will appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I love what you do with Operation Not Alone and this podcast and just all the ways that you are making this sector stronger and smarter. Um, so I'm really honored to, to be a participant in this and have so enjoyed our conversation too. Oh my gosh. Well, you are far too sweet. but And I look forward to being able to kind of um, you know share and bounce off of each other in the future. I think it'll be fantastic. So you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Make an Impact podcast. If you enjoyed yourself, would you do a little rate, review, subscribe dance? And if you really enjoyed yourself, would you share this on social media so someone else could catch the impact bug? Until next time, friend, I can't wait to see what kind of impact you make on your world.